Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. No, merci. Ça, c'est le mot du jour de nothing personal. No merci. Nothing personal word of the day. No merci means no thank you. Yesterday, the Major League Baseball Players Association voted 33 to 5 against the last offer that Major League Baseball had sent to the players. That was an offer for 60 games. That would have had expanded playoffs. It would have given players an opportunity to keep some of the $170 million of advanced salary that was paid to the players. They're calling it forgiveness, but really what it meant is some of the lower earning players would have then made their full prorated salary for 60 games plus whatever $100,000 they'd gotten when the March 26th agreement in Major League Baseball had been signed between the players and the owners. Several other possible rules. 33 to 5. Let's explain that for a minute, please. Because you all know that there's only 30 teams in Major League Baseball. So who exactly was voting when the players voted against this offer? Well, each of the teams has a union rep. The way a union rep is nominated is the players get together And they choose the following way. They have a team meeting and they say, who wants to be the union rep? Crickets. Nobody. All right. Nobody wants to volunteer. All right. They look at the young guy and say, you can be the union rep. Because normally the union rep has responsibilities to communicate with the union, to be on a few calls. When there's an issue that the players are having, they go to the union rep to talk to the union Not too many issues of consequence, but during times of COVID and labor grievances, labor fighting, labor discussions, union reps take on a much bigger, much more time-consuming role. So there's 30 of them. Then on top of that, in the union, there's an eight-person executive council. That's eight players. We've said on nothing personal that three of those players James Paxton, Elvis Andrews, and Andrew Miller are Scott Boris clients. Those are three of the eight. So all 38 have a vote. 33 out of 38 said, no, we will not agree to MLB's last offer. Everyone was despondent yesterday. That's it. There's no baseball. Now, Major League Baseball is going to have to implement a season. There's going to be more fighting. There's going to be angry players. There's going to be players who choose not to play. By the way, half the people have COVID. By the way, the spring training facilities are closed. Then yesterday evening, Major League Baseball. By the way, let me tell you what I was doing. So I go on CBS Sports HQ. I'm talking about the fact that the Major League players voted no. We do a segment. But then I'm on call. 
which means that I have to pay attention. I've got to follow Twitter. I've got to look at the news. I'm looking at CBS. I'm looking at other sites waiting for Major League Baseball to see what they're going to do next. While I knew exactly what they would do, they were not going to implement a season so quickly because they don't want to implement a season. The reason Major League Baseball does not want to implement a season is that they have no great interest in a grievance that the players could file. They have no great interest in the narrative that they had to impose a schedule on the players. But there was a big confusion that we clarified on HQ last night and again this morning, and I'm doing for you today, June 23rd, 2020, or whenever you are listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube. Major League Baseball, in a late-breaking statement, there was another battle of statements yesterday, in a late-breaking statement, Major League Baseball said, all right, players, we need to hear the following from you before we can impose a schedule. It didn't say before we will impose a schedule. It didn't say we're going to impose a 60-game schedule or a 50-game schedule or a 70-game schedule. What they said was, we need to know how quickly you can get to spring training. Let us know by 5 p.m. on June 23rd whether you can all report to spring training by July 1st. Now, I grant you, we may not know exactly where spring training is going to be because it's got to be in the home cities now. Can't be in Florida and Arizona unless you're the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, and the Rays. And also let us know if you agree to the health and safety protocol. Remember that 67-page document that baseball had? The 113-page document that National Basketball Association has? Well, there's that document for baseball, those 67 pages about no spitting and showering and all the other rules and regulations of contact tracing and social distancing and not everybody in the clubhouse at once, not everybody in the food room at once, and yada, and yada, and yada. So everyone said, that's it. Rob Manford has now imposed a schedule. It's doomsday. These players and owners can't get it together. They're a bunch of tone-deaf, greedy millionaires, billionaires. And I said, wait, that's not what's happening. What's actually happening is that Major League Baseball is proceeding under the March 26th agreement, which specifically states, one, players will get their pro rata share however many games are played. Two, Owners will work with players to formulate a schedule because the schedule has something that there was no discussion of. It's called opponents and days that you're playing. Where you're supposed to be flying to. Those things are all necessary so that the traveling secretary can make hotel reservations so charter planes can be made and reserved. So that stadiums can start being retrofitted in order to accommodate the new health protocols. MLB under that agreement started that conversation by submitting a list of questions to the union saying, we need you to answer those questions. It's expected today that Major League Baseball Players Association will respond to those questions in the affirmative. They will say that they can report to spring training by July 1st. They will say we are willing to agree to the health and safety protocols with the following changes, which will cause another conversation. What I am hopeful will happen and what I'm looking to see happen is that all of these additional conversations 
will eventually result in not Rob Manford and the owners imposing a schedule onto the players, but will result in an actual agreement for the 2020 and 2021 season. There are still so many variables. Even with the union today agreeing and answering the questions that the owners asked, more discussions are needed. More rules will have to be not just implemented, but discussed, and a plan will have to be made with employees of the teams in operations, stadium operations, traveling secretary, managers, coaches, GMs. There will have to be a discussion as to how a schedule can be played. All of this under the umbrella of COVID and the reality that people are testing positive. Staff members are testing positive. Players are testing positive. Forget a second wave. We're in a first wave. What am I expecting today, tomorrow, the next day? I am sticking to what I've said from the beginning on Nothing Personal. An opening day around August 1st. Spring training around July 1st, July 4th, around Independence Day. And I am hoping that somehow we can again flatten the curve. Somehow we can again reduce hospitalizations, reduce positive tests. But I'm also hoping that players understand the responsibilities that they will have once a season starts. Because the worst nightmare, let me say it a better way so I'm not insensitive. The worst nightmare is people dying from COVID-19. The worst nightmare are people getting COVID-19 and having the potential for respiratory illness for the rest of their lives. Unknown side effects. That's the worst nightmare. The second worst nightmare is starting a season of however many games there are and not being able to finish. This is not a bubble situation where they're going right into the playoffs like the NBA or the NHL. This is the need for a full season lasting August, September, two full months of regular season games. Then the money month of October, the money month where the playoffs will be held and it won't be expanded playoffs if there's an implementing of a schedule, imposing of a schedule by Rob Manford. There still could be expanded playoffs if there's an agreement with the players which is what I'm hoping will happen. But expanding playoffs means maybe playing into November and keeping people safe and from testing positive. Will that even be possible? And if it does happen, how do we stop groups of players from testing positive? What will we do when a team cannot play? These are questions that still need to be answered. They will be answered. And boy, does my beard hope they're answered. Stay tuned today. Nothing personal word was a quick no merci by the players, a quick response from the owners. And what I'm hoping is a lot more parlaying. And I don't mean P-A-R-L-A-Y-I-N-G, you gamblers out there. I mean P-A-R-L-E-R-I-N-G, as in to speak. So you want to talk to Samson? Yes, you do. Here's cue the music, Coca. Although that's city slickers. That's not 
half-baked. Anyway, so you want to talk to Samson is when you get into my Twitter at David P. Samson. I want to thank you, by the way, for subscribing to the YouTube channel. It's called Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Please go on to Apple, rate and review this podcast. Ask a question in your review, and I'll deal with it at the end of a month, mailbag pod. I appreciate your loyalty, however you are downloading, subscribing, and taking advantage of Nothing Personal. So you want to talk to Sampson is a different segment where you go into Twitter at David P. Sampson, you press follow, you tell your friends to follow and to subscribe to Nothing Personal, and then you ask a question. Some people are doing it on Instagram, David P. Sampson. The question today, what impact will this labor dispute have on the 2021 negotiations for a CBA? It's a pretty simple question, but a very important one. It's being written about, It's being talked about. The collective bargaining agreement was signed in 2016, the most recent one. It expires at the end of 2021, December of 2021. Which means that as of December of 2021, there is no collective bargaining agreement in place, which means there could be a strike, there could be a lockout, there could be an extension of the current agreement for getting this interim March agreement. Or... There could be negotiations that drag on, will have this same roller coaster of emotions, will have statements back and forth trying to curry your favor as fans. There'll be meetings with politicians because when there's an actual labor agreement, which this wasn't, by the way, it should be noted this interim agreement that we're talking about that's going on right now was not an official collective bargaining agreement negotiation. This was an in-agreement side letter, side agreement. So what impact would this labor dispute have? In the real world of negotiating, all of the back and forth that goes on during the course of an agreement, and there's a lot of disagreements that happen in the middle of a collective bargaining agreement. There are grievances filed by each side against the other during the course of a collective bargaining agreement because of interpretations, differing interpretations of the collective bargaining agreement. It's all normal. It doesn't feel good. And I've been involved in a lot of grievances. It's a pain in the neck. There's a lot of paperwork. But that is standard operating procedure. People are saying, though, that the level of distrust and the level of vitriol would indicate that this will have some sort of ripple impact on the next negotiation. Everyone is sure of it. Well, on nothing personal, I'm here to tell you, it's just business. There is nothing personal going on between the union and the owners. There may not be a lot of love. There may not be a lot of respect, but what there is, is a lot of knowledge, a lot of intelligence, a lot of institutional understanding that when they start negotiating the new collective bargaining agreement, they've got to start fresh. 
They cannot let what has taken place now seep into it and go into that negotiation angry. Remember what Bill Murray said in Groundhog Day, don't drive angry. Because when you do, you are emotional. And if we've learned one thing on nothing personal, do not be emotional. It will not be helpful. Rob Manford's not going to get fired. Tony Clark's not going to get fired. Dan Hallam's not going to get fired, the number two guy with the owners in the commissioner's office. Bruce Mayer's not going to get fired, the number two guy in the union. Scott Boris is still going to be around. Hardline owners who want a better agreement are still going to be in existence. Owners for peace are still going to be in existence. Players who want to play and get paid will still be in existence. And players who are willing to fight for future members of their union will still be in existence. The parts that have always been played will continue to be played. And I don't believe there will be any impact in the coming negotiation because of the current labor dispute. So you want to talk to Samson? You did. You have. You know who didn't talk to Samson? Dak Prescott. The quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. He must have lost my cell number. He's been involved in a very contentious contract negotiation with Jerry Jones, the owner, with Jerry Jones, the general manager. They have a new coach in Mike McCarthy who's waiting to see what's going to happen with Dak Prescott. He's due to become a free agent at the end of the 2020 season. And the Cowboys put a franchise tag on Dak Prescott, which means that if Dak Prescott would sign this franchise tender, he would be a member of the Dallas Cowboys for 2020. But after that, he would become an unrestricted free agent. People have been very upset that the Cowboys haven't signed him long-term. Well, Dak Prescott yesterday signed that franchise tender and will now get paid $31.4 million in 2020. He then has till July 15th to complete negotiations for a long-term deal with the Dallas Cowboys. If no agreement happens by July 15th, what happens is he will play the season and then become an unrestricted free agent. There are two quarterbacks who have forged this same path prior to Dak Prescott. The first is Drew Brees as a member of the San Diego Chargers, was a quarterback, signed a franchise tender, became a free agent, and famously left the Chargers as a free agent and signed with the New Orleans Saints. Kirk Cousins was a quarterback for the Washington Redskins, signed a franchise tender. I believe Kokotomi before the show during our pre-show meeting said that Kirk Cousins had actually signed two straight years of franchise tenders. He then became an unrestricted free agent and signed a three-year, $84 million deal with the Minnesota Vikings. So what does this mean for all of you Cowboy fans? Is this the last 16 games that you will ever see Dak Prescott? Will there be a deal cut before July 15th? The answer is no. There is no way that Jerry Jones, the owner, will sign a long-term deal with Dak Prescott. There's an argument over, should it be four years, should it be five years? 
Dak Prescott wants to sign for four years because in the fifth year, there's a new TV deal with the NFL, and it is his belief that he will be able to get an even larger contract in year five. Jerry Jones had wanted to have him signed through those five years. Guaranteed money. I'm not buying it, though. I don't think that's the reason. The reason Jerry Jones is not going to sign Dak Prescott to a long-term deal is because of COVID-19. Because of COVID-19, there is going to be a salary cap adjustment in the NFL. Revenues are going to be down because I do not believe that there will be 100% of fan capacity in any football stadium this entire season. Query, will there even be fans at all? during NFL games this season. Double query, will there be an NFL season? At this point, as John Belushi said in about last night, at this point, we do not know. So how could an owner possibly sign a long-term deal at a number without knowing what percentage of the cap that contract will be? He's got a football team to run. He's got to maneuver the organization within whatever that cap is. Now, Jerry Jones, the GM, may be saying to himself, "Yeah, you know what? We need Dak Prescott. He's our franchise quarterback. He's the one who can bring us to the promised land of the Super Bowl. Coca, correct me if I'm wrong. I do not believe the Cowboys have been in the Super Bowl in over 20 years, I want to say. That doesn't sound right. Is that possible? Is it possible the last playoff game that the Cowboys won was early 2000s? But definitely no conference championship. I don't think they've been to an NFC conference championship in forever. You've got to maneuver the cap. So if you're a Cowboys fan, look for the following. Dak Prescott signed the tender. Dak Prescott will become an unrestricted free agent. And Dak Prescott will look for a long-term deal on another team. I don't think he's going to find it. And what will happen is that the Cowboys trying to get to their first Super Bowl since 1995 will have a decision to make whether to overpay in a sea of economic uncertainty. Or if they will take their chances with trying to find the next Dallas Cowboys quarterback. When we come back, we're going to talk about a movie that I watched the other day about a lawyer that some of you may not have heard of. But after this next segment, you will all know the story of Roy Cohn. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I'm still watching movies every day, TV shows. It's a great way to relax. I review something for you every day on Nothing Personal. There was a documentary I watched earlier this week, although today's Tuesday, which means I watched it yesterday. It's called Bully, Coward, Victim, The Story of Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn is an attorney who became famous during the McCarthy era hearings. McCarthy was a senator who basically put a list together of people who he felt were pro-communist, anti-American. This He was after Hollywood writers, actors. He was after anybody who he felt was letting communism bleed into American society. Roy Cohn was by his side the entire time and became famous for being involved in what was a extremely unpleasant part of our history. Roy Cohn was a superstar lawyer, graduated law school at 20, used his association with McCarthy to become a famous prosecutor, and then after that, a famous attorney. His most famous case is that he is responsible for putting Julius and Ethel Rosenberg to death. Who are Julius and Ethel Rosenberg? If you don't know, I'd like to tell you. They were accused of being spies back in the Cold War, Russian spies. They were two Jewish Americans, husband and wife, who apparently, not apparently actually, they were charged with selling the secret to the atomic bomb to the Russians. The worst possible betrayal of your country. Forget being a spy, that's a betrayal to begin with. But selling the secrets to the atomic bomb to Russia, a nightmare. He convicted them and they were sentenced to death and they were murdered. Except there was one problem with that prosecution. Julius Rosenberg was a spy, but didn't give anything close to the formula for the atomic bomb to the Russians. His wife, Ethel Rosenberg, was not a spy at all. When you ask people today, they will all tell you that the Rosenbergs were incorrectly found guilty, incorrectly put to death, and Roy Cohn was in large part responsible. The documentary does not go into the role that Hoover played running the FBI. 
The documentary does not go into the sexuality of Hoover and the sexuality of Roy Cohn and any impact that could have had. Roy Cohn was gay. Roy Cohn ended up dying of AIDS. Roy Cohn ended up a defense attorney representing the founder, Steve Rebell of Studio 54 in a cocaine case had a laundry list of cases throughout his life. Very mysterious guy, though, personally. Very mysterious professionally. The story is one of tragedy for the, Eisen, for the uh, Rosenbergs. It is one of melancholy for me about Roy Cohn and the fact that he had to hide his life. The fact that he had become such a political operative and that he used his intelligence in a way that did not and would not help our country move forward. If you're looking for a good documentary and you want to learn something, it's called Bully, Coward, Victim, the story of Roy Cohn. Check it out. Well, we got word today Maybe it was yesterday, Coca. I think it must have been yesterday. Maybe part of the word was today. There's a league called the National Women's Soccer League. Everyone said that the NBA was going to be the first back on July 31st. Then they were wondering whether there was a chance that Major League Soccer was going to come back earlier. That could have happened. It still could happen in their bubble in Orlando, the new epicenter of COVID-19. But there was a league that had a deal to come together and play a Challenge Cup, a tournament. It's the National Women's Soccer League. They're going to Salt Lake City, Utah, starting this week. And it turns out that if you want to watch sports, by the way, you can watch the National Women's Soccer League on CBS Sports. I always love throwing a little bone to CBS. Thanks for the platform, CBS. And I know you've got your white knuckles. You're worried every time we do a show. Makes me smile, actually. So there's nine teams headed to Utah. Uh, No, there's not. There's eight teams headed to Utah. The Orlando Pride of the NWSL has opted out of the Challenge Cup because six of their players tested positive for COVID, plus four of their staff members. Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because were they being responsible? Were the players following the protocols? Is it possible when Orlando opened up that members of the Orlando Pride went to bars, went to gatherings? Is it possible they weren't wearing masks? Is it possible that they got COVID-19 only through workouts? Is it possible they got it in the clubhouse? There are players on the team who are quite upset that they won't be able to play in the Challenge Cup. Upset that they did everything they could to stay healthy, and yet six members of their team tested positive, meaning they basically had to forfeit forfeit their spot in the Challenge Cup. Why am I bringing this up on nothing personal? Because I'm angry. I'm angry that the NWSL did not have a plan in place as to how to deal 
with players who tested positive. Angry because maybe they did have a plan in place, but that plan doesn't work at the end of the day. Angry because of what this means for the NBA bubble, the NHL bubble, MLB's return to play plan that may be finalized today. Every league has made it crystal clear. They will only start if they know they can finish. They are not going to stop playing with a positive test. We have no evidence, no indication that there will be a team that will have one positive test. We know when you're in groups of people and someone is sick and you're in an enclosed space, even if they're asymptomatic but carrying COVID and testing positive for COVID, we know that other members of the party, of the team, of the traveling party are going to then test positive. We know the rules are there's going to be contact tracing. So if you're with a player who tests positive, you went out to dinner, you had room service in their room, you were next to them in the clubhouse, even though six feet away. You followed them into a shower or a bathroom. You took a ball that they threw and you touched it and then by accident touched your nose or your lips or licked your fingers. There's not going to be one positive test on a team. And if the women's soccer league, the only solution to six positive tests was that they can no longer participate because it's not safe for them to travel. What's baseball going to do? You're saying NBA is fine because they won't have to travel. They're going to be in Orlando already. They're working their way to Florida. They're not starting for another month. It's going to be fine. Let them get tested and test positive now, and then they'll quarantine for 14 days. They'll start training, practicing, and they'll be good to go. Does that mean starting July 30th when they play in the NBA that there won't be positive tests? That's completely unrealistic and not based on scientific fact. What's plan B? We're going to find out soon enough. Tennis is still on a plan A. They're ready to have the U.S. Open starting August 31st in New York, Flushing Meadow. Arthur Ashe Stadium hosting tennis matches. All the outer courts being used, no fans. Well, Flushing, we may have a problem. Novak Djokovic announced today the number one player in all of tennis. He announced today that he and his wife have both tested positive for COVID-19. What happened? Were they quarantining? Were they not? No, they weren't. Guess what they were doing? They hosted a tennis tournament for charity in the, is it the Falcon Islands? Coca, it was somewhere. The Balkan, why did I say the Falcon Islands? I meant the Balkan. Is it the Balkan Islands or just Balkan? Maybe it's just Balkan. I think it's the Balkan region. That's a region. Thank you, Matthew. I love what they were doing. They wanted a tournament. They were raising money for a charity. And guess what? They had health and safety protocols in place. And then guess what happened? Yeah, here's what happened. They tested positive. Positive. 
Forget the fact that there's a video of him dancing at a nightclub shirtless. Forget the fact that he may have been totally irresponsible and not followed the exact rules of health safety protocols. The reality is who is going to. I've never met a player who's going to spend three days just in his room while their team is on the road in baseball. You think basketball players are going to do nothing but spend time in their rooms in the Orlando bubble? N-G-T-H. Not gonna to happen. I was going to say not going to happen. That'd be N-G-H. Not going to happen. There is a lesson for all sports here. Tennis, an individual sport. Like golf, except tennis is a little worse than golf because you're sharing the same tennis balls. In golf, you're only hitting your ball. Easier to social distance. And even golf had a positive test. No matter the sport, the problem is the people. And the problem is the people are actually just regular people. We may view them as athletes, as role models, as gods, as goddesses. We may be jealous of their skill and their athletic prowess. But at the end of the day... Nobody wants to be quarantined. No one wants to spend a hundred straight days with just Wilson. Sorry, Wilson. You know I love you. I would spend any amount of time with you. But really, it's enough. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not enough. It's only enough when we may have a vaccine. It's only enough when we can figure out how to make sure that we and everyone around us can stay healthy. What will the impact be of Djokovic and his positive test. Will he even be able to now travel to the United States? Does he want to travel? We know that Djokovic is an anti-vax guy and maybe vaccines are required in order to come to the U.S., are required in order to play in the tennis tournament. We don't know what the ripple impact will be. The ripple impact of some of the social unrest is just starting. We had an opportunity on this show to talk about Marge Schott, the owner of the Cincinnati Reds, talk about the fact that her name is on the baseball stadium at the University of Cincinnati. We've talked about what Yale and other schools are doing as they had committees to study renaming principles and to come out with an actual basically cheat sheet of how to decide what name, what buildings, what statues, what needs to be removed, what should be removed, what shouldn't be removed, what you should consider. We talked about the fact that players at the University of Cincinnati wanted Marge Schott's name off the stadium, and today it happened. You want to talk about progress? I'm not going to be cynical with you. I am not going to say to you, that what changed about Marge Schott from five years ago to four years ago to three years ago to two years ago to one year ago to today? Because the answer is nothing. Marge Schott was an undeniable, racist, disgusting human being. She didn't get worse. She's dead. She didn't get better. She's dead. Why the board for the University of Cincinnati acted now? Should I be cynical? Should I be critical of them by asking what took so long? And the answer is no. I'm going to compliment them. I'm going to compliment them on realizing that doing a 180 
is what this day and age and what this year is about. The possibility of righting wrongs. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. You can't change the way you were. You can change the way you are and the way you're going to be. If every university, if every individual changes starting today, am I idealistic? Am I unrealistic? Am I living in la-la land with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling? Maybe. But what happens if this little pebble rolling down the hill of people understanding their racial biases, understanding the social injustices, the implicit and explicit racism that exists in our country and has for hundreds of years? What if today's the day Today may be the day. I'll tell you what today is, though. Today, we did it, Coca. We've hit 100. Today is day 100 of the ML Beard Challenge. We promised to give away $1,000 a day for 100 days. We have spent 100 days choosing organizations, choosing foundations, choosing charities, trying to make a difference, trying to be the people who can help effectuate change, starting with us. What should be the charity and the organization for day 100? Coca and I were racking our brains, and then Coca, I gave him all the credit in the world. He said, David, when we made an adjustment after 77 days where we were dealing with COVID, we made the adjustment and the adjustment was that we are now going to give money to organizations, foundations who are dealing with the racial issues, the social unrest, helping people make better choices, giving them choices to make. And Coca said, I have it. Martin Luther King was assassinated at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. At the Lorraine Hotel, there is now something called the National Civil Rights Museum. The National Civil Rights Museum has as a mission the following. When it comes to civil rights, it's important not only to learn about historical milestones, but also to interpret them in a way that can be applied to today's challenges. Through multi-sensory and multimedia innovations, historical artifacts and structures, events, speakers, and online resources. The National Civil Rights Museum champions educational programming and offers visitors a full immersion experience. I've never been to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. I've only been to the Memphis airport. I'm committed to you, the listeners and viewers of Nothing Personal, that I'm going to go to Memphis I want to go to this museum. I want to see where Martin Luther King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel. 
I want to understand how it is that any sort of individual who speaks up as a lone voice fighting against an absolute tsunami of hatred, anger, and hundreds of years of little to no progress. How a lone voice who rises above that can be silenced at 39 years old. And what we have to do to renew this push toward racial equality. I don't want to be preachy on nothing personal. I don't want to get emotional on nothing personal. And I don't want to get personal on nothing personal. I just ask each of you a question. As we've been doing this ML Beard Challenge and growing our beards until baseball opens, whenever that is, the purpose of the challenge was to raise awareness and to raise money. I've asked you to give, whether it's $19 for COVID-19, whether it's $190, whether it's a dollar a day, it doesn't matter. Whether it's double tipping your mailman, the people who are delivering your packages, your takeout Uber drivers, whoever it is. I've asked you to potentially look at yourself in the mirror and ask not what needs to be done, but what needs to be done by me. You've heard me tell the story about water and wine before, about what it takes to make a community, about what it takes to get an entire society to move forward. You've seen our society move forward technologically. You've seen our society move forward into space, move forward with innovation. The greatest country in the world. How can we be the greatest country in the world when there is any type of racism that exists, any type of intolerance toward people who just don't look like you do, who don't act like you do, who don't talk like you do? And why does it take one man or one woman to have a voice to rise above the rest in order to get people to act? Why does it take someone to have to be murdered like George Floyd to get people to act? I'm here to ask a simple question. I'm going to keep going with nothing personal every single day, delivering content, telling you what's going on in the world of sports, entertainment, politics, business, tell you like it is in a way that there is no voice in media doing this right now. And I'm going to keep going. But I do not have the only voice that matters. Your voice, your ears, your brain, your knowledge, and your actions mean just as much as mine. Because together, we don't need one voice. Together, we've got it all covered. And together, we will be able one day to stand up. Maybe we'll go to Memphis together and do a show. We'll be able together to stand up and say, we just did a lot of business. But we also impacted a lot of persons. 